We're in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. Let me read our text to you. If you've got a Bible, keep it there, keep it open there, and we'll be um, working our way through that text as best we can. Here's what John writes. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there's absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's the word of God. That's the inspired part of our message. That's God speaking to us, if you want. So, you know, one of the main responsibilities of the Middle Eastern shepherd was that of um, protecting his sheep, the flock that was entrusted to his care. So our title today is Living Like a Christian Should Live, protecting the sheep, caring for the sheep, looking after the sheep. Whenever we take this picture of responsibility and transfer it over into the New Testament and into our own era of living today, if you want, we can better appreciate the role of the pastor or the elder within Scripture. This is their responsibility. So we read these words from the Apostle Paul, looking at Paul at this point, uh, recorded for us in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 31. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So this is this church, this body of people are so precious to God. For I know, says Paul, I know this, that after my departure, after Paul leaves, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're going to move in. These savage wolves will move in, and they're going to destroy, attempt to destroy the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you every night and day with tears. So Paul's putting out this warning to the, the these young believers, these overseers of the church, of their responsibility before God to honor him and to walk with uh, the, the attitude of protecting the flock. So to bring further clarity for us today as to the responsibility of the shepherd, the pastor, author Warren Wearsby writes the following. He says, what do shepherds do for the sheep? They go before the flock and lead it. They don't march behind and drive it. They lead the sheep away from danger and into the rich pastures and still waters. That's what the shepherd should be doing, leading the sheep to truth, to protection, to safety. You see, shepherding God's people, shepherding a sheep is a very, very serious responsibility and should never and must never be taken lightly in any respect of this life that we, we live. So within the context of the church, it becomes absolutely essential that the sheep, the flock of God, are, are clear as to what they believe about the God whom they profess to follow and to love. The, the sheep have to know these, the, these truths. This is the point of John writing this letter to this flock in Asia Minor. It's a means of his protecting this flock. It's a means of this church of faithful believers being protected from false teaching and from the wolves who would preach this false teaching and move in among them. So this faithful apostle had a very obvious love for truth but he equally had a concern about 
error creeping into the church. He wanted to protect the, the church in truth, but he was equally concerned about error that would sneak in and creep in to the church. So he was determined to protect it. In his great book, um, The Loveliest Place, author Dustin Bench offers us this understanding of the church. And I think it's really, really helpful for us if we can grasp this. He says, the church is most regularly associated with the Greek word ecclesia, a term meaning those who are called out are an assembly of the people. He's referring there to those who've been called by God out of the world to join together a minister as this assembly of God's people by which they live in God's truth, they honor God's truth, and they ministering and protecting that truth, um, saving the truth, and then sharing the truth with the world. Uh, the insight also of um, Wilhelmus a, a, a Brackle is beneficial, I think, in this point also. He brings this uh, sort of definition of the church into one sentence, and it might help us as we, we just visualize the church and then move forward in this understanding today. He writes, this one church is made up of all the elect who have been called from the beginning of the world and yet to be called until, until the end of the world. So he's saying anybody who's been called by God into this church from time began, and anybody who will be called in the future into this church, these are the elect. This is the church. This is the people of God. They are the redeemed ones. They are the ones who are responsible to live. They're the ones who John's referring to as being sheep, who Paul refers to as being sheep, little children, if you want. These are the ones that need protection, guidance, leadership, and everything else. So that is who the shepherd is to look after. The, the ecclesia, the called out ones, that is who the shepherd is called by God to minister to. He's called by God to lead these people in the way of truth and protect them from the subtle false teaching of the wolves that would come in. In a second letter, John's going to clarify to these believers that many deceivers have gone out into the world to preach a message proclaiming Christ did not come to earth as a man. They want to say something different. And John says such teaching brings to the belongs to the deceiver, belongs to the Antichrist. He's very direct about that. He's clear about that. He wants the, the church to understand that. And then he takes the believer to a very challenging place of thought in uh, 2 John verses 9 to 11. Here's what he says. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. So he says, stay in the scriptures. Don't go beyond it because if you go beyond it, it's an evidence that you don't have God. The one, he continues, the one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. So we've got to stay in this truth. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home, and don't greet him, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works. So we want to be clear again as to what it is that we believe. John's call is crystal clear. Have nothing to do with heresy. Have nothing to do with these heretics. And his reasoning is such a, in such a statement is very simply to protect the sheep from such incorrect teaching that would bring severe spiritual confusion to their practice of serving God or living for God. And so to help these believers go forward to continue walking for God, John writes in verse 5 of our text, this is the message we have heard from him. This is the message we have heard from him. And John emphasizes here in this in verse 5 that um, he has written this declaration to every believer as a means of their understanding and appreciating that God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in God. So when we follow God, when we live by the word of God, we're in light. If we add to that, or we go outside of that, we move to darkness. That's his point right there. And the acceptance of this truth is fundamental, if you want, to the theological and doctrinal belief held about God 
by every truly redeemed believer. You see, God hasn't got a myriad of thoughts here. He says, this is who I am. This is my person. This is who you're to love, honor, obey, and follow. <clears throat> and here, John is addressing the very nature of God, if you want. And because the believer is indwelt by the, the spirit of God, God's nature being expressed through how we, we live, it becomes such an important practice to us as to what we believe. So Paul writes these thoughts about God being light and his intent for those who belong to him. And uh, this is the Apostle Paul speaking now in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. Here's what Paul writes in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 to 6. Uh, I'll, I'll read verse 3 just for context. But even if our gospel is veiled, that is, if it's unclear, it, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So only the unsee, of those who are perishing, can't really detect it. Whose minds, he says in verse 4, the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, says Paul, but Christ Jesus, Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for, for Jesus' sake. He's saying that's who we preach, that's who we proclaim, and the true believer embraces that. Now, it, it should go without saying that believers should follow Christ as they live through this world. As we journey through this world, we're called not to live in the way of the world, we're called to live in the way of Christ. And through the fall uh, to sin way back in the Garden of Eden and the ongoing deception of humanity by Satan, this world that we live in becomes a, became a very dark place spiritually. And here we are living as the light of the world, light of God in this dark spiritual place. Only those who've been called out of this world, that is the ecclesia, called out to follow Christ, can enjoy the experience of walking in light. And we do so because we walk in the ways of Jesus, who's called the light of the world. John tells us um, in, in his gospel in chapter 8, verse 12, he who follows Jesus, he who walks with Jesus, follows Jesus, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's what we want in our lives. So with all of that, that positions or places, you and me as believers in a very responsible position within our world today. As a people who know the light of the world in a personal way, because we know Jesus in that way, we're to point our fellow man from his place of darkness to this light, if you want this, this truth. And we can do this because we also once walked in the world of darkness without the light. We know what it was like in the world of darkness, but we were called by God out of that to become his ecclesia and then live as his light in this dark world today. So Paul writes about our experience in um, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Now, you'll notice I'm using Paul and John quite a lot here. Of course, they're both apostles. They both have a lot to say about this. Here's Paul speaking in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says to the believers in Ephesus, For you once were in darkness. You knew what it was like to be in darkness. But now, currently you're in the light of the Lord. So live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So truth becomes so important uh, as it directs us as to how we live today and all of this. Now, John goes on to tell us the extent of importance for us to live in this light. And basically he's saying, if you're a true Christian, if you're truly redeemed by Jesus, one who knows the light, if you want, then listen as to how you're to live. He tells us in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 9 to 11. Here's what he says. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. See, you, you can't say, oh yeah, I belong to Jesus, I love Jesus, but I, I, I hate my brother over here. He says that, that that's an evidence you're actually in darkness. He continues in verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause 
for stumbling in him. Don't want his brother to stumble or fall by the way. Verse 11, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now we'll open up those verses when we come to them in the context, but you get the drifter. You get what he's saying. He's saying there's a lifestyle to be lived here because this is so important because it serves as a fact that our, our faith goes way beyond speech, way beyond words if you want, and it moves into a, a belief system that actually drives us uh, to, to practice these things, to live out these things publicly, irrespective of what people might think of us. So we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, some incredibly frightening and some really haunting words that I think will trouble many people, uh, because there's lots of people professing to know Jesus Christ. Here's what the Lord Jesus himself says in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a shocking statement. Uh, Jesus said that to the people listening to him on, when he was here on the earth. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's why truth is so important. That's why we need to get this right. We must live God's way here. Continuing on in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We've done all these good things in your name. Um, uh, have we not uh, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? But we've done all these things, Lord. You, you, you've got to understand who we are here. And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. You who belong to to your father, the devil. You who have never been called, you have never been drawn, you've never been positioned as a believer. You're not part of the ecclesia. So it's so important when we're part of this ecclesia, part of this church, that we live honorably and truthfully for God. So John continues then in the following verses of uh, 6, 8, and 10 of our text to show us that even though we love Christ, even though we love his word, even though we believe in him and are certain of our eternal destiny, we still fall to the temptation of sin. We still succumb to that. Here's what he says. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. And verse 7 says if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. Then our verse again, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, we know it well if we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. And verse 10, our text again, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we're going to be tormented and troubled by sin until we're in his presence. So to, to the believer, sin serves like a knife held to her throat with a, a continual risk of our succumbing to the drawing of its blade. It's like it's just ready to cut across our throat and, and finish us if you want. So we must take sin very, very, very seriously. As Christians, we're actually called by God to put sin to death in our lives. Now, I'm sure you're like me. You're troubled by sin. We're tormented by sin. We're tempted by sin. We succumb and fall to sin often. So, but we're called nonetheless to kill sin before that blade is drawn across our throat. This is so important. Now, with all of that little backdrop, if you want, let's look at verse six of our text. The people referred to by John in this verse appear to appear to take sin very, very lightly, casually, if you want. They believed that they had fellowship with uh, God Himself, but they they would just live as they they chose to live. They were living in a, a libertine type 
uh, lifestyle. Most likely some had a belief that um, heaven would be their home, that they're definitely warranted in going to heaven because they have somewhere accepted or acknowledged Jesus in some way. And I would suggest that we, what we refer to as Christianity today in this world around us is greatly troubled by this particular practice or certainly some similar type practice. All around us are people who profess to love God and to, to follow his teachings in the Bible, yet these same people, they, they live no differently in practice and thought from the darkness of this world that we're called to live in and be light within. So John writes in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, if you say you have fellowship with him and, and we walk and live in darkness, we, we lie and do not practice truth. That's pretty hard. John's very direct here. To say one thing and then, then live contradictory to that, whether knowledgeably, intentionally, or, or, or unintentionally or otherwise, is according to John to lie and to not practice the truth. It appears that John believes that if someone professing to be a Christian lives in opposition by their practice of life to the teachings of Scripture only, then they are in fact not, not a Christian. That's un unpopular. But it seems that that's what John is saying right here. You see, the believer, the one who walks in God's truth, has been made a new creation. Uh, we've got a desire now to do his will. We want to live for him. So I want to read these verses from 2 Corinthians 5.17. You'll be familiar with this one. Therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is redeemed, if anyone belongs to Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things, the old lifestyle has passed away. Behold, says Paul, stop, take note of this. Behold, all things have become new. We, we want to live in a different way. We want to live God's way because we're redeemed, belonging to him. We're part of the Ecclesia. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, again, Paul writes, for we are his workmanship. God has made us this workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, but not works that not good works that we dream up ourselves, good works which God prepared beforehand, before the world was, that we should walk in them. So God had these good works planned for you. He had ordained these good works for you to walk in before there was anything. You were always going to be part of the ecclesia. And so we are called to live in this way for him. <clears throat> and this true believer who lives according to God's truth, they're obviously indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's a point that Paul makes over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says with a, a hint of sarcasm in it, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You profess to know Jesus. Well, do you not know that you are the temple of God where, where God's, God's Spirit, God the Spirit dwells, where he lives? And then he says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So it's a very serious thing. John's pointing this out. Um, Paul's pointing it out. They want us to hear this and, and really live according to, to truth. See, you've been transferred by God through Christ into the, the kingdom of Christ. And because of this, you express the good and the appropriate works in life by which God is glorified. You, 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 you live appropriately by which God has called you to live so he's glorified in your life. So I want you to ask yourself then, in light of verse 6, am I certain that I'm in Christ? Do I live a life by which those around me would no one say that, that I belong to Jesus? Would your neighbor say, oh, they belong to Jesus? Would, would your work colleagues say, yeah, they, they belong to Jesus? Would your family say you belong to Jesus? So important. 
If we move to verse 8 then of our text, we, we meet another group of people. A people, a group of people who think um, themselves to, to be right with God. These people claim to be without any sin in their life. They say, yeah, we're, we're good people. We, we, we're not involved in sin. We're not involved in sinful activity. We're good people. And John writes these clarifying words in verse 8 to such people. He says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Those people are saying that. Plainly put, it's, it's sinful to think or to claim that we're without sin. You and I will be troubled by sin until we're in the Lord's presence. And as John says, by doing so, we deceive ourselves and we give evidence that we're not redeemed and therefore we do not belong to Christ. If we say we have no sin. In Romans chapter 3, 23, Paul makes it very clear that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every person, even the psalmist writes in Psalm 51, verse 5, of being in sin whenever he was conceived by his mother. When he's in his mother's womb, he's in sin. Only Jesus could ever claim to be without any sin in his life. And to think that we're capable of conquering sin as we go through this life is to deceive ourselves. Only in Christ can sin be addressed in your life and my life. So then in verse 10 of our text, John gives this clarifying reason for his, his argument. He says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, that's Jesus, a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, the person, this person takes the, the whole concept of being without sin to a whole other level. Not only are they claiming to have no sin in their life, but more so, they're actually saying they've never sinned. And John refutes them by saying that such a statement, such a claim actually makes God out to be a liar. It's a, it's a mockery of him. Don't say that. So in contrast to these ways of sinful thinking and sinful and deception by living in that sinful manner, accepting secular rationale for what life and eternity are supposedly about, John wants to help us. So he writes in verse 7 of our text. I know we're jumping about the text a little bit, but it'll hopefully work on our understanding. Verse 7, he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, so if we walk like Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. We've got to live his way if we want to enjoy fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. His blood cleanses us. We don't cleanse ourselves. We don't fix ourselves up. We're not born good people. We have to be cleansed from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And only the blood can do that. What exactly does John mean then by his use of the term or the word walk? What's he saying? Well, he isn't saying that we as followers of Jesus are, are just to accept Jesus, which is very popular, by the way. Come forward, accept Jesus, and all is good. He's referring to some form of lifestyle that he calls walk. We must appreciate that John is referring here to the, the true believer. He's telling this true believer, you've got to walk this way. You see, only the true believer, only those who are truly redeemed, are capable of walking in the light. And this means that through the Spirit of God who lives inside of them, they're equipped to, to reflect the very image of God, to reflect the one who is, who is the light, according to verse 5 of our text. We, we actually reflect, we reflect the ways of God, the, the characteristics of God, his person in, in our lives, because his light is within us. And this new redemptive lifestyle is what enables the believer to 
enjoy fellowship with each other. That's what causes us to come together and say, wow, we enjoy this fellowship. We're the ecclesia. We're the called out ones from society. We live differently to society because we live God's way in accordance with his word. And therefore we glorify and magnify him. We make much of him in, in, in that sense. That's how we live. So have you ever reached the place in a relationship where you say to yourself, you know, I just don't have anything in common with that person because they just don't know Jesus. I just, there's nothing there between us. There's no connection. That's what I think Jesus felt with a lot of people who said, I follow you, but there was no connection of, of spirit. There was no connection of spirituality. There's no connection of commitment, no connection of I really follow. I really believe. I believe who you are. But, but John tells us that even with such thinking, we're only capable of enjoying any relationship because we're being constantly cleansed from all sin in our lives by the blood of Jesus Christ. So sin no longer controls, sin no longer manipulates, sin no longer steers the life of the true believer. We're still tortured by it. We fall to it. We're tempted by it. But it no longer manipulates, steers, controls our life because now we're controlled by the light that is truth, which is God living within us through his spirit, according to his word. Now, moving on then to verse 9 of our text, in First John here, chapter 1, we read these words, and you, you know these words well. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, confession of sin is a vital and vitally important practice if we're to walk with God who is light. If we want to walk in his light, we need to confess our sin. And this embraces the practice of repentance for the believer. You repented when you gave your life to Christ, but repentance is an ongoing practice. It's not, so, not a one-off practice. We have to repent because we sin, and the Spirit convicts us and says, you shouldn't have done that. That was sin, so we must repent. That might sound really simple, but it's increasingly unpopular in Christian circles. It's like, I have repented. I don't need to do that again. Well, Jesus himself called people to repentance. Um, we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, this is Jesus preaching, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's advising people. He's calling them. You've got to repent. You've got to repent. There's no salvation without repentance. And in Luke chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus tells sinners that unless you repent, you will all perish. If you do not repent of your sin, you will perish. So to tell people it's okay, just... Somehow acknowledge Jesus, nod to Jesus, recognize Jesus, appreciate Jesus, refer to God. That's not enough. Now notice from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26, how strong the Lord's demands were of those who would follow him as one of his disciples. We are his disciples today. So let's put this into our own lives. <clears throat> Luke 9, 23 to 26. Jesus said to them all, all who were with him, all who were following him supposedly, if anyone desires to come after me. If you desire to walk after me, if you desire to live my lifestyle, if you desire to follow me, let him deny himself. Immediate point there, denying self. So we don't become the leader. We don't become the most important person in my life. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now his cross was recognized to be an in instrument of death. Uh, these disciples knew that they'd seen people crucified. They'd heard of crucifixion. They knew about it. They knew the agony of it. They knew the torture of it. But here Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you, you've got to deny yourself because yourself's going to get in the way. Deny yourself and then take up your cross, which leads to death. Take up your cross every day and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake, says Jesus, will save it. In other words, whoever ends up giving up his life in sacrifice, potentially in death, but in sacrifice at least, that they will save their lives. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? If he becomes the most important person in this whole world, if he gains everything and is controlling everything, and he himself, uh, himself is destroyed or lost. What's the point in that? For whoever is ashamed of me, says Jesus, and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory, and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. So we're called to glorify, magnify Jesus, make much of him, to follow him, to walk after him, uh, and to live his lifestyle. That seems to be what it means to be a Christian. And to do less than that, or to do uh, something aside from that, calls into jeopardy whether we really belong to Jesus or not. Now, the word used in verse 9 for the practice of confession literally means to agree with God about your sin and then to repent of it by confessing your sin to him. So I'm saying, you're saying, Lord, I acknowledge that you're right about sin. You're right about that in my life. That is a wrong thing. I want to get rid of it, so I repent of it, and I ask you, Lord, to help me overcome it, to put it to death and to never be bothered by it again. And so John's point here in verse 9 is because we as believers have been forgiven of our sin, we will appreciate our ongoing need to confess our sins. We recognize, well, I've been forgiven, so I need to keep these short accounts with God and to repent and to repent and to repent because I want to be in this right eternal relationship with him. So as we wrap everything up here, I want to say this to you and have you think about it. Be sure that the act of real repentance is in your everyday life as you live unto God. I trust that you'll do that. Uh, I trust that you'll enjoy that privilege of continually repenting to him and coming before him as a, as a follower, a truly committed follower who takes up your cross every day and says, Lord, I want to walk with you. As, as one who lives in the light of his truth, if you're a minister, a pastor, a leader of the sheep, then let's lead the sheep in truth. Because to do less than that is to deceive, to be foolish, and to permit false teaching the wolves to come in and cause their havoc amongst. And that's not the job of the shepherd. So make sure there's real repentance in your life as a, a leader. Make sure there's real repentance in your life as a true follower of Jesus, one of his disciples. And then let's head home for him. Let's live this life for him. Let's be showing people his light in this dark world that we live in. May you be blessed. May you be encouraged as you do that this week. It'll be challenging. It'll be difficult. But it will be rewarding. And it is Christ-like. And it's an evidence that you truly belong to him. Be blessed and keep living for him. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week.